My wife isn't here, so I can tell the story any way I want to. This is fantastic. Make myself look as good as humanly possible. Hard to do, but here we go. So, I don't know how your experience is with living with another individual, but let me tell you mine. So, you come into the house after you've been somewhere. You're wearing your coat. What does one do with your coat after having gone somewhere and come back? Well, I've heard that too. And somewhere along the time in my life, I have developed this habit. I take off my coat and I put it on a chair. Every single time my jacket is on the chair that Rob is sitting on right now. Every time I take off my jacket, I put it on the chair and I don't even think about it. So one day, Bethany goes, Joel, where's your jacket? And I went, I don't know. It's true. I put it on the chair without even thinking. I just walk in, I put it on the chair, and they're like, not a single thought has gone into it. So she says, Joel, would you put your jacket in the closet next time? You know what I say? Yes. Guess what happens the next time I walk into my house with my jacket? I don't think about it for one single second, and it goes right on that chair once more. Or a different chair. I don't even put it on the same chair, which everyone's around, right? Sometimes we well-meaningly say yes, and we mean it at the time, and sometimes we don't come through when we should. And there's another example of saying yes. Sometimes you might say this. Hey, are you going to come to our party? Are you coming to the party? And you might say Yes. I'll be at the party. And then, lo and behold, a pipe busts in your house, it floods, and you don't go to the party, right? It is different, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, it is different. But you know, sometimes when we say yes, we mean it, and sometimes it doesn't work out how we think it's going to. And Paul talks about saying yes and saying no, and he says them in a couple, she demonstrates them in a couple, couple different ways. And I think you'll see how valuable we can understand the yeses that we give as humans that waver on whether we thought about it or waver on whether our pipes break and the yeses that Christ gives us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you so much this morning as we come to our passage. We just pray that you'd be with us and help us to understand what you'd have for us, just pray that as we understand what happens when you say yes, that we would say yes to you. We just pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in 2 Corinthians, we're in chapter 1, and we are now in verse 12. As we know, Paul has been speaking to the people of Corinth. 2 Corinthians is really 4 Corinthians, 3 Corinthians is lost, and it was the severe letter, and things have not been going well, and now he's kind of trying to smooth things over. And so he continues with that, and he says in verse 12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behave in the world with simplicity, some manuscripts say holiness, and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so 
toward you. So they've kind of been fighting. It actually seems like there may have been a visit where Paul came, and they're still not listening to him. Remember we said 1 Corinthians didn't even work. I mean, he wrote 1 Corinthians, and then it didn't work so much that he had to send the severe letter, and now things seem to be going together, but he's continually kind of having to defend himself. And so he says, the testimony of our conscience that we behave in the world in a simple, simple or holy and godly, sincere way. Not with earthly wisdom. Going on to verse 13. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, and I hope you fully acknowledge. See, he says, I'm writing this to you, and you've understood, but you haven't understood it all. Or you've understood it all, and you haven't decided to do it all. I think one of the great examples of understanding what you're supposed to do and whether you're doing it or not is uh, kids. Kids are really good at taking what you say. They understand it perfectly. They know what you mean. And they do what you tell them. Hey, clean your room. Okay, perfect. I'll clean my room. You walk in. Oh, it's, it, Dad or Mom, it's clean. Where'd all your toys go? Mom, Dad, clean. And then just like the Bernstein Berry story says, you open up the closet and all the toys come falling out, right? Well, they clean their room the way they thought would be the fastest and easiest. And sometimes we understand, we acknowledge, we do not acknowledge fully. Verse 14, just as you did partially acknowledge us that, you, that on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. What he says is, I want not only to be able to, you acknowledge part, I want you to be able to acknowledge it all so when the end comes, when we stand before Christ one day, we can boast about one another. The great things that you've done and the way I have served Christ as well. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that I might have a second experience of grace. He talks about wanting to have visited them to experience a second time of grace. And this could mean a couple different things. The most standard meaning of this is something like when he visits, his visits are really great because he's an apostle and so they experience grace from him as a visitor. Like, I'm visiting you, I'm an apostle, and this is me giving you grace. Or it could mean this, and I think I would go with this explanation. He was going to visit them twice, we'll see in the next following verses. And he talks about them being able to send him to the next place as an opportunity for them. Like, you get to share in the ministry, right? It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to share in the ministry. And so he might be saying, the second experience of grace, meaning because I was going to leave you twice, you got to experience that grace twice because I came to you twice and I left twice. I wanted to visit you in my, on my way to Macedonia. See, so I'm going to Macedonia. I was going to stop by and to come back to you from Macedonia. So he was going to visit them twice and have you send me on my way to Judea. But this did not actually happen. In verse 17, he says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? See, sometimes we as humans are fallible, right? We say, I'm going to be there. And then something happens. Are we lying? 
Are we lying? Oh, no, I don't think so. I mean, when your pipes blow up, I don't, I don't think you're lying when you said you were going to be there and you're not. But have you ever been where you said something and someone took what you said and maybe, maybe it's right. I mean, those were the words you said, but they twisted on you. They take what you said and they twist, sometimes on purpose because they're trying to be a jerk and sometimes just on accident. They misunderstand. Well, Paul says, I'm going to be coming to you, what, twice? And he doesn't. And it seems like what is happening is the people say, see, this Paul guy, he said he was coming twice. He hasn't been here twice. And we know from 1 Corinthians, some follow Paul, some follow Apollos, some follow Peter, some follow Christ. If you're a little bit of an anti-Paul guy already, See, I told you, I told you this whole time. Paul's garbage, and we've proven it right here. He didn't come twice. Do I make my plans according to the flesh? So he's making them for selfish reasons or for sinful reasons, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. Am I talking out of the both sides of my mouth? Yes, yes, and no, no. Some of us do this, right? I listen to a podcast. I've told you about this podcast. I apologize, but it was so interesting. It's an interview with the CEO. The CEO enacted a policy in his company. So this is some super famous CEO. So famous, I've never heard of him, but he could buy and sell me about 8,000 times. So I can't remember what company he was for. He's getting interviewed. And he enacted this policy, and he said... We record every conversation anyone ever has in the entire company. This is why. He says, we tell the truth here. If someone is in my office and I tell them this is how it's going to be, guess what? That's how it's going to have to be. Because anyone at any time can go look back that works at that company and look at their recordings. Don't you hate it when you go and you work for a boss and they tell you, this is how it's going to work. I promise. This is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. And then, maybe it's not that way. Maybe it's not that way. I worked for a company one time. They seemed to just not be able to figure out why they had so much turnover. You know, the pay was good. Seemed like a nice enough place. Worked there. People backstabbed each other so bad. It just wasn't worth staying. Wasn't worth staying. Every time someone told you something, you weren't really sure what they were saying. You weren't really sure if that was that what they meant. And so these people are accusing this of Paul. It's one side of your mouth, then the other. This isn't an honest, I meant to be there, and I didn't make it. This is a, we are accusing you of saying one thing one time and doing another. And so Paul defends himself. It's so ironic. You'd think the apostle Paul, should he ever have to defend himself? Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 
If you ever want responsibility, guess what comes along with responsibility? Scrutiny. It comes. It comes. If you don't want scrutiny, take no responsibility. Verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes or no. I have not been talking out of both sides of my mouth. And he says this, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. In him it is always yes. You know, we as humans, even if we would record every conversation at our work, we're still going to screw it up, right? We're going to say yes, and it's going to end up being a no. Guess what? Christ, when he says yes, you know there's never going to be a no later. You know, my dad never missed a single basketball game I ever played in high school. He, during tax season, he would come to my games in his suit. He would watch my game, drive 40 minutes back to work, and work. He never missed a single game. But you know what? Christ not only never misses a basketball game, he never misses anything. Anything. And there's been times where I've needed my dad, that things were hard, and he wasn't there. No fault of his own. He didn't live anywhere near. Sure, he would answer the phone if I'd have called. But Christ, he's always a yes. When Christ says, I'll be there twice, guess what? Nothing can stop him from being there twice, right? No circumstance, no broken pipe, no forgetful mind. Christ is there always. Verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. I know so many things in life feel so unsturdy. It so unsturdy. You know, you think math is just like this rock-solid thing that, like, never changes. And then you start getting higher in math, and they get these stupid things called imaginary numbers. And then you get into, like, quantum physics, which I don't even understand, and you realize... And math, math just isn't even as rock solid. Should you buy a home or should you rent? Well, that depends on if the housing market's going to go up and down and whether you're planning on moving or not. There seems to be so many things in life that are just percentages. You know, when NBA people draft players, you know what game they play? The probability game. What's the chances this guy's going to be any good? 20%, 25%. So you can be an absolutely terrible picker of players, and guess what? You might accidentally come up with a really good team because it's just all about probability. And you could be the best picker ever, just get a little bit unlucky, and you're going to lose your job. So many things in life that we think are solid just are wishy, and they wash 
Which is why when we can say, when Christ says, if you put your faith and trust in me, you'll spend an eternity with me, eternity with me, we can say, that is a yes. That is a yes that will never change. There's no probability. There's no wishy-wash. Verse 21, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee continues to defend himself. Verse 23, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. So why didn't he come to Corinth twice? He says, it was to spare you. We'll see in verse 24 that Paul has authority over them. So he says, I didn't come to you because I was going to have to bring the hammer. And so, while originally I thought it was a good idea to visit you twice, I later I realized it was a better idea not to visit you twice. Isn't that so often how life is? It was such a good idea at the time. You said it. You had this big plan. That was going to work. And then it doesn't work out that way, right? Never works out that way. Or, you know, usually doesn't. Our best made plans. And so he changes his mind, you know. We go on to verse 24. It says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. See, he has authority. He says, I didn't come to lord over you because I was going to have to be once again severe. What does Paul want? He wants them to have joy. He wants them to have stand firm in the faith, and he wants to work with them. All the back and forth they've gone through, the letters, the him going is not work, working out. What is his goal still? I want to work with you together. Together. See, as humans, we sin, right? We, we sin, and then it brings us apart, right? Marriages and relationships, we sin, and we make each other mad, and we do things that we shouldn't. And then what do we have to do? We have to bring it back together. We have to forgive and say, you know what? This relationship might be broken, but we're always breaking them. So guess what? We always have to be fixing them. I don't recommend you break them as much as you possibly can, but it's going to happen. And when it does, you got to come back together. You have to forgive. You have to stand firm. Final thing I want to remind you of before we go this morning. When life seems like you just have nothing solid. You know, I, I remember, and I probably told the story when I lived in my brother's basement, and, and, uh, I, and I was, I'd been divorced, and I, uh, you know, didn't, did, I worked at clean carpets. I got kicked out of my PhD program because it didn't allow divorce students, and I was sitting in my basement, and, you know, I just never, I never wanted to take any of my books out of the boxes because it was just too sad to look at all the books that I owned. You know, I was supposedly going to have my PhD by the time I was 28, right? And uh, it was all gone. And I was trying to find out what my career was going to be. Like, I may never be in ministry again. And all that hard work I'd done, all the all-nighters just to write papers was all a big waste of time. You know, at those points in your life, 
life feels wishy-washy, you know? I was told my whole life, you know what? You know what they can never take away from you? Education. I was told that, you know, you know what they can never take away? Education. You've got it. Boy, it sure felt like it had taken away from me at that point. Seven years worth of Bible college and seminary. Tens of thousands of dollars. Just felt like one of these things that I thought was solid, that I thought didn't move, you know, this education. Even education is not as solid as you think it's going to be. But those times of deepest hurt and deepest pain, whose yeses can we say? Whose promise? Not the one that promised me education is something they can never take away. One that says, your eternity with me, that can never be taken away. Nobody can take that away. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, maybe there's something in my life. Maybe I've never said yes to Christ for the first time. Maybe today would be that day. You put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe there's something else in your life that you say, you know, I've, I've said yes in some ways, but I've not fully acknowledged what I know to be true. I encourage you to come this morning as we sing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful morning. We just thank you that we can sing, that we can worship you, that we can learn more about you. I just pray as we dwell on the fact that when you say yes, when you make a promise, it is unshaking, it is unwavering, it never moves. We thank you that your offer of your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us will never change, will never move, will never shift. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.